the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you. At 800-516-1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader. 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Good day. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Focusing on your wealth, focusing on your retirement, no matter what your age. U.S. retail sales rose less than expected in the month of May. That's probably one of the key reports that we looked at this morning. In large part... It's pretty hard data. Uh, economic data can come in soft forms. It can come in hard forms. Total retail sales for the month of May increased three-tenths of a percent. If you exclude autos, they're up one-tenth of a percent, below expectations. We were expecting an increase of seven-tenths of a percent on total retail sales and four-tenths of a percent if you excluded autos. Now, there was some upward revisions for April, which helps. But again, that kind of becomes a little bit softer total because it's past. And Wall Street lives and dies by the sort of uh, past performance, no guarantee of it's not indicative of future returns. It's a little more advisor for taking action on your stocks mentioned. So declines were registered for electronics. I didn't buy any electronics or appliances. Uh, beverages down one tenth of a percent. Clothing down six tenths of a percent. Personal care was a loser. Sporting goods down. General merchandise down. Food services down. Okay, so everything's down. Well, okay, there's a couple. Home furnishing stores up half a percent. Building materials up one percent. Miscellaneous stores up one point eight. So there's okay some numbers there. You know, there's some. But no, it wasn't good. So the Commerce Department is the department that really sees these numbers. And again, they're not perfect. Reports on employment, manufacturing, and service industries have suggested growth would rebound strongly in the second quarter after the economy contracted at a 1% rate in the January through March period. Called so-called core sales. That's when you strip out automobiles, gas, building materials, and food. They're very, very closely tied towards consumer spending components of GDP. They were unchanged. So I ain't going to lie to you. These aren't good numbers. It's as easy as that. So we got that going for us. That affected the stock market negatively at the open. One interesting story of the day was the COO of Twitter quit or resigned 
His name's Ali Rouhani. And Twitter now has a history of like bad management. Or uh, turmoil in management. That's a better way of saying that. As COO, he was given the responsibility of leading user growth and product innovation. He was there for the IPO. Twitter's user growth has been lackluster, to say the least. Twitter's stock has been hammered due to weak growth. How weak is the growth? Facebook has over a billion users, is adding more users on a quarter-over-quarter basis. Apple, which sells $600 devices, added almost three times as many new users in the fourth quarter and first quarter combined as tw- uh, in the fourth quarter. Kara Swisher, she's part of uh, digital media. She reports on tech. So she said Reghani had been stripped of his power to oversee product after Twitter's failure to grow. Reghani made missteps beyond failing to grow. He sold 300,000 shares of his Twitter Shares for $9.9 million when the lockup period ended. The rest of Twitter's major executives and investors committed to holding their shares, but he sold. Swisher says employees asked about this at an all-hands meeting. Agrani said he wanted to give money to group doing research to battle a disease that killed his father. Um, growth and product innovation is now the responsibility of Twitter's vice president, Daniel Graff. Twitter has this history now of turmoil. Jack Dorsey was the original CEO, then he was forced out of the company. So Evan Williams could take over, then Williams was forced out, so Costello could take over. Costello was a stand-up comedian before being a CEO. Um, That's not good. That's too much turmoil. So when I dated, I had this this thesis or, you know, theory in my head. If it was too crazy, it was too dramatic... I'm out. Like, it's a sign that things aren't right. So, Twitter got a call on it yesterday. And the guy said, you know, it looks like a double bottom. I'm like, yeah, it kind of does look a little like a double bottom, but watch out. News can change things. If they have a bad quarter, executive shakeup, things could change, right? Um, Long story short, it sucks moving higher on the news because it's perceived the guy was a loser. That's how Wall Street works. It's, it's an interesting beast, to say the least. It's when some things that move stocks that you don't expect. For instance, and this is a big for instance, when a company fires people, Wall Street tends to like it. If they lay off 10,000 people, Wall Street's pretty thrilled in the short term because the most expensive cost of doing business is labor. Right? So you kind of get that concept, and I don't have to pound that down your down. Most expensive costs of doing business is labor. So when you fire a lot of people in the short term, it's going to hit your bottom line. In the short term, you're going to probably ask some people to do their job, so it's going to increase the productivity. So we've got Twitter in the news today. We've got retail sales. How about this one to pound on? Amazon launching a music streaming service. Prime Music will be free for Prime subscribers without advertising. So they rolled out a music streaming service. It does include songs from Vivendi, the largest label, and tracks from Warner Music and Sony will generally be more than six months old. You're going to see a lot of songs from the Billboard 100, but you're not going to see a lot of new releases. There'll be something for everybody. The move is potentially important for Amazon as it seeks to position itself 
as a central gateway for customers' lives for everyday purchases like soap and diapers and streaming video or ebooks. So Prime just got a little bit better. It's that $99 service. It gets you two-day shipping. It gets you some TV shows. It gets you some movies. You know, I wasn't going to go out and pay for Captain America, but I'll gladly watch it on Prime. It was okay. It didn't rock my socks. Um, the service is dubbed uh, Prime Music, and again, it's just it's folding a lot of this in. It's, it's now competing with Spotify and Pandora. It'll be available on Kindle Fire tablet computers, as well as the Amazon apps on Google, Android, as well as Apple mobile software. It's only available through Prime, and it won't be available to non-Prime customers. So Amazon just keeps adding extra features to the Prime, following that 20% annual price increase earlier this year. So I like it. It may not be a game-changer, but it's certainly nice. Now, does that affect their stock price? Let's take a look. Was it First and foremost, everyone knew it was coming. Well, stock down on the news, about 1.5%. So when you're talking about a big $400 you know, kind of area, when you go from 332 to 330, 335 to 330, you're talking about 1%. But it looks bigger than it is. Um, so this is your top stories of the day. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. We've got a big seminar coming up on the 19th in Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge on income and retirement and dividend stocks. You can sign up at robblack.com. AM 1220 KDOW traffic. The forest of pumpkin trees. They used to sing about the birds and the bees. The bees had to tell the war. The sky wasn't big enough for them all. The birds they got out from the lawn. From dirty ponds and the creatures of snow. Visit Rob Black online. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Don't be shy. Give me an email. Drop me an email. 800 or rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. i got a big event coming up in Palo Alto. Uh, when I say big event, it's uh, it's $5. I give it all to charity. I provide wine and cheese. So trust me, it's not like a big money maker. Um, story, though, is it's tied towards dividend achievers, income and retirement, how to set up a retirement portfolio. All your questions as well. If you want to bring a copy of your portfolio with some key data like your name, your age, your income, your assets, your liabilities, time frames, that'd be great. I'll gladly review that for you. But don't be shy with it. Let's talk a little financial planning right now. Bring on CFP Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. How are you today, Chad? Great. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for asking. It's always good to have you in studio talking financials, talking money with me. You often say that you can't start a financial plan 
without a budget. Now, again, there's a lot of things you need to know about money. Budgeting is one of them. It's probably uh, close to the top of the things that you need to know. Budgeting and goals. Yeah, I mean, you know, a true financial planner, true fiduciary that's going to actually create a financial plan for you is going to be very cash flow oriented, which means long-term cash flow projections, long-term projections of even your tax bracket. And you can't possibly figure out whether or not you've saved enough or how much you have to save until you know what you're spending now and what you're going to spend in retirement until you've created a budget. I mean, I can't, I can't do anything for people until I know what their expenses are. You know what I mean? Right. right. Unless, they, unless I can look at their portfolio and say, well, you have way more than you need to retire on. I need a budget. It's, it's one of the metrics that you use to say, are you meeting your expectations in retirement? Are you meeting your goals or not? So younger people just really need to move slowly and buy what you can afford. That's, a, that's the first thing about budgeting when you're younger is buy what you can afford. Don't buy what your parents already have. Buy what you can afford because people are going to be judging you by the size of your portfolio when you retire, not the type of car you drive. So you're saying the size does matter? Of the portfolio? Right. Definitely. Absolutely. So budgeting, you just brought up a concept. There's retirement budget, but there's also a pre-retirement budget. It's for simpler terms, a pre- like my lifestyle, I need a budget. I need to make sure that I'm not spending more than my paychecks. Yeah, well, you've got to look at the budget and see how long certain things are projected for. You can't just look at your budget if you have young kids right now, especially in the Bay Area if you're in an area where you're using private school. That expense isn't going to be there forever. So some certain expenses, uh, private education, certain kids' costs, you know, the ballet every month, the soccer costs, that's going to go away at some point. But other things come back in in retirement that you've got to project as well. Like most people spend more money in the first five years of retirement than, than when they're their last five years of working because they're, they're doing either the honey-do list or the vacation dream list or buying the RV or the second home. All of that has to be projected. So you have to sit down and say, what do I want my retirement to be like? Am I really going to be happy if I just quit working at age 60 or 65? Do I have hobbies? Do I have things that that excite me, that I'm passionate about, that I want to do, and how do I fund that? You know, How do you make money work for what you really want your life to be like? So I get the whole Rob Black's lifetime budget. You know, I get what I'm spending, what I'm not spending, what I'm saving, what I'm not saving. Um, I use Mint.com, which stands for moneyintelligence.com. It helps me with a budget because it tracks all my spending, Yeah, which yeah. is basically what a budget is. Track your spending first and foremost and then start you know, adding other lines into that budget. Uh, what do you think about Mint.com? Um, I think, uh, you know, if you can get past the first couple of quarters where it's kind of monotonous, you got to make sure things get categorized the right way. Sometimes if you're using certain cards, things can get double booked. So there's some definitely some weekly cleanup that you want to do for the first couple of months on Mint. And then, and then hopefully it gets automated for you. You sign up your credit cards and, and debit cards, and then it tracks your spending and helps you categorize that. And then you can see how you're doing versus other families in your same kind of zip code area. You know, are you spending more or less? Are you cool with uh, using an online tool like Mint.com where it's yeah. tracking your finances and you're not worried about hackers? Yeah, the, the, the thing that I've seen is, first of all, most credit cards and bank cards, you're going to have that $50 limit where you're you know, responsible for maybe the first 50 bucks. But you've got to keep an eye on it in case something happens so you can shut it down. Most of the bad cases of identity theft that I've seen have to do with mail. Okay. You know, the, people that sign up their credit cards online, as long as they have a, a, a pretty recent computer right. with spyware and adware that you're constantly, you know, set your computer up so you're doing a screen every night, obviously. Um, it, I think it's a lot safer to pay checks online than to write checks 
Okay. And and I'm not worried about the, the online theft, but you know, go ahead and get your identity theft insurance if you want to. So we need to wrap this up a little bit sooner rather than later. We talked a little bit pre-retirement budget. Let's talk post-retirement budget. What are some of the surprises that people need to start allocating for that, that expense? Your dreams, first of all. So you've got to make sure you sit down now and dream what you want your retirement to be like that and budget for that. But don't forget, you've got health care costs. Medicare insurance, medical insurance isn't free when you turn 65. You have Medicare. You've got to pay for Medicare Part B. That's 115 or so a month or more if you're a successful person and, and have a higher income. And you've got taxes. Most of the money people are retiring with are in their 401K. So you've got a million dollars in your 401K. That's really only 700 grand after taxes. Right? Absolutely. And then inflation, that's the biggest one. Healthcare costs are going up at five to six percent. The value of a dollar is cut in half every eighteen years, so you can't assume that your your income will be level in retirement. You've got to be able to increase it with inflation. You can find Chad at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com or chadburton.com. He is a CFP. Coming up on the show, I'm going to be speaking with Scott Gam from TheStreet.com. He's a personal financial contributor for TheStreet.com. We're going to be talking about mortgages and risks that are tied towards them that maybe you're thinking about, maybe you're not thinking about. I think it's always important to uh, continue to educate yourself on all things financial. And using a financial reporter, um, not not the worst way to go about it, especially TheStreet.com. They do a really nice job of aggregating um, a lot of writers, talking personal finance topics. Now, talking more about the markets today, you know, the top stories are, in my opinion, autos with the lone bright spot in the uh, sales report today. Retail's not really rocking. That's a problem because it's a big part of our economy, and a big part of our economy is not to be overlooked because corporate America plays into that. Corporate America derives profits from it. Profits drive Wall Street. Amazon launching a music streaming service. Kind of one of those worst-kept secrets. It's like Apple's coming out with a bigger phone. Yeah, we kind of know that one. Twitter CEO is out. The stock is up. That's telling you that the street really didn't like the job that he was doing, getting new people to pay attention to the services. Uh, doesn't look good. It's a sloppy story, too. You know, how he was the only executive selling shares. Um, but again, Wall Street applauds the move. You can find out more about me at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone. Call 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. You can find me online at robblack.com. There are many sounds in your day. You relax. For more information. I know what you're trying to say, baby. You're trying to say, oh, yeah. It's business time. Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. Next thing you know, we're in the bathroom brushing our teeth. That's all part of it. That's foreplay. Foreplay is very important. Hook him in. It's a little business time. Then you go out Let's bring in our guest, Scott Gam. 
from thestreet.com. How are you, Scott? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, the headline of your re- most recent story was a little bit of a shocker to me. It's not one that I think of. Mortgages are too risky, consumers say. What motivated the angle on writing this story? Well, you know, it was a study from the uh, National Foundation for Credit Counseling, and they found that 18% of respondents said that a mortgage was not worth the risk. Um, but then the interesting part was that 82% felt that, you know, home ownership was a critical part of wealth building. So there's certainly a conundrum there. Um, but, you know, I think the recession certainly, uh, you know, has still left plenty of homeowners wounded, whether they themselves were involved in the trouble or they, you know, people around them were. Um, so it's certainly, you know, interesting to see how, how people are still afraid of, of those mortgages. But it is important to know that we can get into this, that the landscape has changed. It's not that wild, wild west out there as it was before the recession. It's not perfect, but it is better. So I think I grew up thinking, you know, again, my perception of mortgages, maybe I'm contributing to your, you know, after story or not. I kind of grew up the American dream was to own a house. Then I got into a house and sold it pretty quickly. Uh, things were moving in the 90s pretty fast. Um, but, yeah, anyone who's been involved in real estate since 2005 probably has to be pretty spooked, especially the children of people who made bad real estate decisions. Did your study or did the study take into account, like, generation-wise motivations on mortgages versus, like, the baby boomers? No, it, it, it wasn't a matter of age, um, but it okay. would be interesting if, you know, to see those numbers. Um, you know, we're certainly seeing uh, mortgage rates uh drop a little bit certainly they're they're higher than they were at this time a year ago but you know you would think that that would be sort of causing people to get into um a mortgage not necessarily right now but certainly if you look back a year ago everyone was saying oh rates are going to go up the federal reserve is scaling back at you know they're going to taper and then the first six months of 2014 we had a you know a, a ton of different factors that you know, through that thinking off course, even though the Fed did taper, I mean, we had the crisis in Ukraine, we had emerging markets crisis, uh, we had, you know, just overvalued stocks, and you had uh, factors in the markets that really, uh, you know, you know, kind of threw out that expectation that rates were going to rise because of the tapering, and now everyone's kind of just waiting for what's going to happen next. Um, but I think that speaks to, you know, the, the other point we made in the article, uh, which is that, look, you have to buy a house when you're ready. You, know, you can't kind of make a decision based on what interest rates are doing or what your neighbor's telling you, uh, that if you don't get a mortgage now, you're going to be paying, you know, this much more in a year from now, because uh, no one knows. So that's, I think, the key point. It's interesting that you bring that up. I think that most people could afford a monthly payment in their head versus what interest rates are, and yet we get caught up in, you know, uh, you buy now. Because the commercials are like, rates have never been lower, now's a good time to buy. Maybe you're even wondering. Um, so there's a little bit of a media pressure to get into homes. Um, take it on a, a different twist, and going back to 2006, 2007, 2008, one of the problems was that you'd get a loan for half a million dollars in California, and you'd go to, you'd go to sign the paperwork, and 
it was, you know, it's a stack of paperwork. It's like a ream of paper that you're signing, sign here, initial here, sign here, initial here, sign here. And that's got to be one of the reasons why consumers see it as risky. It's, it's, it's an intimidating process. Well, not only that, but you also had in, in those years, 06, 07, 05, uh, you know, people who weren't uh, playing by the rules, per se, in terms of, of, you know, sort of giving out these mortgages, not doing the proper, uh, you know, background checks. Uh, you, you had a lot of issues. Um, and then, you know, obviously those mortgages, which were tainted, were packaged up and sold, you know, in the same pool as some of the better mortgages out there. But, you know, the tainted stuff couldn't be distinguished from the, the good stuff. So it was really just a perfect storm. Uh, and that was only one component of the crisis. You didn't even talk about the banks or, you know, all these other, you know, factors plummeting home prices. But um, so I think certainly, like you mentioned, the years leading up to the recession you know, are still with us today. In fact, I'm surprised that that number in the survey wasn't higher. Um, I, I, I thought 18% was pretty low. Um, I, I would think people are, are kind of through with these mortgages, especially because, you know, I mean, we, we really, in, in many cases, haven't necessarily learned our lessons since the recession. I mean, I have another story up on Main Street that's about to be posted about home equity lines of credit. Uh, how there was a study from Equifax that those are up 8% over the past year. And, you know, that's for people using their homes as ATMs. And the only reason that that's working is because home prices are rising. But what happens when they fall? I mean, we learned that in, in 08, home prices do fall. And what do you do when that happens? So it's, it's important to, to sort of keep all these things in mind. It's, it's nice that you bring that up because I did get, get a piece of mail from one of my mortgage companies saying, you know, hey, You've got some equity. You want to take out a home equity line of credit. And home equity lines of credit are a problem because they assume that you're going to get a better rate of return than what you're being charged. And it's just another product. And back in 2000, uh, Marin, where I live in California, uh, was the BMW capital of the world because of home equity lines of credit. Not because of jobs, but because of home equity lines of credit. People using their piggy banks at the worst possible time to uh, tap into the real estate market. So I'm speaking with Scott Gam. Um with street.com, anything, any bottom line that you want to throw out here or anything else in the story that, that we should add a little more light on before we wrap up? Well, look, I, you know, I think just to reiterate, uh, you know, home invest, you know, buying a home is, is certainly uh, should be a, a, a choice to better your family rather than to sort of, you know, take advantage of a low rate or take advantage of a, of a deal you found you know, keep your, your family uh, first, I think, uh, because, of course, you know, buying a home, you know, allows you to establish roots in a, in a community. Um, you know, it, it sort of lets you build that foundation. So, and I think that is where your, your head should be rather than kind of getting caught up in all of these other factors uh, that honestly is a bunch of background noise, uh, you know, when it comes to your, you know, personal situation. You want to keep that in mind. Thank you very much. It's Scott Gam with the Street.com. He's a personal financial contributor. Street joins us every Thursday in this time slot. Always um, content that you should talk about. Again, I don't really care who won the hockey game last night as much as I care about a survey that says people don't trust mortgages. And for Scott to go out and say, maybe you don't have to own the home you're living in 
that's scary and, and wonderful all at the same time. It's along the lines of uh, all these car share companies now. There's a company that will let you uh, borrow a car. So if I have a car that I don't need this week, and you could borrow my car, and I get paid, and you get a cheaper rental. It's a win-win kind of situation. The company has figured out a way to do this by throwing out a million-dollar insurance policy on all vehicles. Uh, great. It's a disruptor. And when – I mean, we can cut down on the number of cars we make by uh, – we, we have 33 t- too many cars for every car that's out there. Um, and you're only in your car typically one hour a day, so there's 23 hours where it's not. And if my neighbor wanted to borrow my car to go to CVS, why not if it's insured? Hell no, if it's not. It's a disruptor. So what Scott was just talking about with maybe people are starting to wonder, like, are mortgages right for me? Um, You know, when you borrow money at 6%, that's pretty big. That means you're kind of trying to get the return on the house of 6%. So you're trying to, you know, see that grow on a regular basis going forward to offset the money that you're borrowing. So the cheaper money, usually typically the better way to go. But I'm not going to make a, you know, an absolute statement like that. I will say again, though, um, I want you thinking about money as much as possible, as much as possible. To get your calls in the air, it is 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. I'm not terribly thrilled with our economy right now. And I thought, I was gonna be, I thought we were going to be in a little bit better position by June. Recessions are always painful. The Great Recession that ran from late 2007 into the middle of 2009 and inflicted a new kind of pain, in my opinion, which is a, an era of slower growth. We have not recovered like we should have. Or we have not recovered like we historically did. It's been five years since the official end of that severe economic downturn. The nation's total annual output has moved substantially above that pre-recession peak. But economic growth has averaged only about 2% a year, well below the historic average. Household incomes continue to struggle. Millions of Americans still can't find jobs. Growing number of people out there think that we will never, ever be the country that we were. For more than a century, the pace of growth was reliably resilient, more than 3% a year. A lot of people are wondering now, like, why are we stuck at this 2% or less? So the slow recovery has some scars on it. And Will we shake it? Maybe that's the sign that we're about to shake it. We've got a big event coming up in Palo Alto at the Elks Club. It's an income and retirement strategy seminar. It's five bucks. It's talking about dividend stocks. It's talking about income portfolio income strategies. You can find out more at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Thanks for listening to the show. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. 
try to always find angles for you. Some days it's a little bit better than others. You know, I'll just be honest with you. Some days it just moves a little bit smoother. Today, you know, the big stories are pretty obvious. Applications for U.S. jobless claims are creeping up. That's a proxy for layoffs. Claims data show that employers are dismissing fewer workers. That's good. And again, the job market's getting a little bit better here, a little bit better there. Twitter CEO is out. Oh, back to the jobs, though. It's still not, it's not, not hot. It's not on the growthy side. It's on the eh. Oh, worst day ever yesterday. I'm at the gym. I'm working out, right? And I got a little back issue. And I decide I'm going to creep into the hot tub and uh, work it out after an hour workout with weights and other such things to make my body godlike. So I creep into the hot tub, and it was cold. It was lukewarm. That's kind of how I feel about the job market. Eh. I'm glad I'm not a college graduate right now. I'm glad I developed my career when there was a, a time to develop your career. I think it's a lot tougher now. So Twitter CEO is out. That's good, because honestly, Twitter is fundamentally not doing what it should be doing. I've kind of given up on Twitter. I still do it. Rob Black Show. Rob Black Show. But I used to use it a little bit more aggressively in the mornings. Tesla, their CEO, said that we are going to be building a plant in Europe once sales of electric cars reach 160,000 vehicles a year in that region. He wants a comparable number of cars in the U.S. as in Europe. He told an industry publication that once global sales pass 500,000, it would make sense to have a factory in Europe and in China. Tesla officials could not be immediately reached for comment. But, um, yeah, absolutely. If I'm in the business of selling stuff, I'm going to try to build it as close as I can to where I sell it. Um, and that's not non-American. It's good business sense on you know shipping stuff and giving jobs to the people who are consuming the products. Amazon launched a music streaming service today. Not a life changer. Again, it's, it's a little bit of a negative for Pandora. Elsewhere out there, Facebook's going to give advertisers more user data. This kind of upsets me a little bit. And I hope it upsets you a little bit. I use Facebook very, very passively. I think there's enough data on me already. And I'm not a big privacy guy. Facebook's given advertisers data about web browsing habits. Web browsing habits. I don't like that. company which is announcing the change today plans to share these browsing histories with advertisers in the coming weeks to help target users more effectively. Social networks gathers data by placing lines of code on users' computers, collecting information on websites they visit. That's kind of yucky, right? I don't have anything to hide or anything that I'm embarrassed about. But I don't think advertisers need to know. Wasn't it once kind of a very passive thing, advertisers? And now it's like, well, let's find out. Let's see it from his pictures if he's a skier. Because I sell ski equipment. Let's see from his website. Okay, no pictures on skiing. Let's see from his web visits. Has he checked the weather in Tahoe recently? Hmm, maybe. Maybe I could pitch this now. I just don't like it. I think the implications on children are horrific. Um, Facebook's continuing its campaign to push the data envelope, raising trouble privacy and consumer protection concerns. Um, And again, we volunteer all of this information. So that's Facebook's big headline today. And it's a story again. I 
I want you to be cautious. I think uh, stuff can come back to haunt you in funny ways on privacy issues. To get your calls in there, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. Oh, we have a phone call. Good golly. Let's go to Richard from San Francisco. I got Rhapsody. I think it's based in San Francisco. Uh, Pandora, where's that based at? And what do you think about Rhapsody? Rhapsody, the music service. Yeah, I, I don't know anything about it. Is it, something, is it something you use? Actually, yeah, I do, but I, I just... I mean, if you could give them more talk, because you talk about Pandora and you know, all the big names, I was wondering, you know, that San Francisco base. Uh, you give yeah, them a plug. Yeah, I, I, I don't think you get the point of what I'm trying to do. Rhapsody is not a publicly traded company. Um, Pandora is a publicly traded company. Oh, and I, all things that. Can, I did not know that. Yeah, thanks for the call. Um, it's actually, hold on, let me pull up. Let me see if Real Networks is even still publicly traded. Rhapsody is owned by Real Networks. And Real Networks was kind of a story back in 1993. Um, I know that they were public for a while. I think they got taken private. Again, just showing you how not material it is. And you're one of my favorite callers, Richard. I don't quite get you. Um, let's see. See See how it's grinding the show to a halt? <laughs> it's your job, Richard, grinding the show to the halt. Yeah, I don't think Real Networks is publicly traded anymore. Um, let's see. I want to see where they Now I want to see where they ended up. Real Networks is one of those guys that tried to compete with Microsoft on video compression technology. And it just couldn't do a good job of it. Um, provider of Internet streaming media delivery software. Um, they got real downloader, real player. They got a digital cleanup tool, digital music library cleanup tool. Um, real Networks was once known as Progressive Networks, run by a guy named Rob Glazer. Yeah, maybe they'll spin it off at some point, but I, I don't see anything in there that's material. But thanks for the call. Thanks for selling the show down to a halt. Uh, like a train wreck. It's Rob Black and your money. Um, sitting in sometimes for CFP Chad Burton. You can find me online at robblack.com. And should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. I kind of pride myself on that. Um, if you have relationship problems, great. If you want to call in with a random thing on Rhapsody, wonderful. 
But uh, with that being said, I won't talk sports. We can talk relationship issues because relationships do have a tie into money. There's no doubt about it. Do you know what Tinder is? Tinder is a dating app. It's kind of kind of creepy. You basically look at someone and you see where they're located and you decide, hey, I'm going to swipe and like this person. They swipe you and you connect and you start your dating regimen from there. You don't know what they do. You don't know what car they drive, like things that used to be important. You don't know if they do charitable work. You just know that they think you're physically a match or potentially. So a guy tries to mass text 32 of his Tinder matches at once, and it backfires miserably. Tinder's a swipe to the right if you like that person dating app. And somehow, I, I don't use it, but I'd rather meet people the old-fashioned way. Like, I don't want to meet people at TV or radio events. I want to meet people at like, charitable events. And the idea of Tinder just is, is obnoxious to me. It just doesn't work. You're not going to find love. You're going to find something else. So fantastic. So the guy does a text to all 32 girls that he's Tinder stalking. Um, he goes, hey, gorgeous, what's up? And all 32 girls just laugh out loud at him. Um, I find that funny. Um, and it kind of group messaged it, so it kind of took on an epic rolling kind of feel to it. Guys are just so lame. And again, I understand it when you sign up for something like Match or when you sign up for something like uh, eHarmony. You have a month and it costs 20, 30 bucks and you're trying to like, you know, find five, six, seven people just to whittle it down to one or two. But really, 32 at once? The problem I have with like that kind of concept is you can't keep clear what you're saying to people. There's no way. So player, winning stock of the day, Twitter, Tweet, tweet. Out goes the CEO, up goes the stock. Making that caller yesterday look pretty darn smart when he said, I'm seeing a double bottom. Had he been, I think they're going to lose their CEO. I would like be like right now just in awe. I'd be like punching myself in the head going, I need to hire this guy. Like he's an all-knowing savant. I don't even know what a savant is. Do we, are there modern-day savants, or are they just past savants? Double-line capital founder, Jeff Gunlick. Jeff Gunlick. Um, he's one of those guys who talks about the market. And he's one of the guys that I like to pay attention to. He talks a lot about currencies and underlying values. He ominously observes that the dollar is approaching its historical terminus of global reserve dominance. In Spain, they've got a currency called de Squero. Uh, where it lasted for 110 years. The dollar's now at 94. So I find him fascinating. He talks about things like the Roman currency and how long it lasted, the debasement of the currency, and how it was strong at one point in time. And roughly over 200 years, it, it lost its value. And he says, let's take a look at the dollar. The purchasing power of the dollar, and for the record, Rome fell. He says the dollar, since 1913, has been based, the purchasing power of a dollar from that time that the Federal Reserve established in 1913, it's basically looking like the same exact chart 
the Rome is. In 1910, the price of a gallon of milk was four cents to five cents today. It's three dollars and nineteen cents. That's a four point three percent annual change over the past 104 years, and leaves one dollar of 1910 money worth one penny today. That shows the debasement of it. Again, this is a pretty big, heady kind of thought. So I'm not expecting you to like totally grab it like a milkshake and drink it down. The half cent was authorized for production in coinage in 1792. We had a half cent. It was discontinued by the Coinage Act of 1857. And again, half a cent could have bought you something. What could half a cent buy you today? How much longer will the U.S. dollar remain the reserve currency of the world? So right now it looks like if you do chart by chart... The Chinese yuan appears to be on its way towards reserve currency status. Bitcoin seems to be making a move. U.S. interest rates and demographics um, are very interesting. I think the Federal Reserve being the largest holder of debt is a problem. They they own $2.1 trillion of debt. Uh, Compare that with other countries... China, 1.3 trillion. Japan, 1.1 trillion. So we're almost two times heavier than any other country, and China's pretty high up there. And that's on foreign government basis, but on domestic, um, it's not even... The Federal Reserve, they own a lot of that. And he doesn't like it when it's tied towards the value of the dollar. So our government owns an asset that's depreciating quickly as far as what it can buy. So, interesting... Again, his name's Jeff Gunlack, G-U-N-D-L-A-C. If you were to just Google his name, I, I think you would find some fascinating data as far as things that I look at and that are important to me. So, like, I look at the labor force participation rate and see how it's doing. For 65 years and older, it's actually growing. For people 16 to 19, the labor participation rate is dropping. For people 20 to 24, the labor participation rate is dropping. So people in that age bracket, they're, they're declining being members of the workforce. The shocking ones, again, are people 16 to 19, 20 to 24. The labor force is, is starting to decline for 35 to 44. It's starting to decline for 25 to 34. It's starting to decline for 30, 45 to 54. Um... And again, it's slow, slowly but surely. I want people working who are younger. I want people who are older to start retiring because the younger people need those jobs to generate the income to pay for your Social Security. Uh, as a share of the population, people at 65 and older are growing. Back in 2015, uh, not 2015, uh, what year is that? Okay, this chart has a, a mistake on it. Oh, no, okay, this is a projection. So right now, the projection is for the year 2015, Americans age 65 and older, it's about 14% of Americans. By the year 2060, it's going to be 23%. And more and more Americans are becoming dependent on the people who don't have jobs. Does that cause a concern for you? Are you with me, against me? Choose a side. This is a civil war. Uh, As far as our country compared to other countries... Uh, Japan's got it worse by a lot as far as an aging population, followed by Germany, France, the UK, Canada, Poland, and the United States. 
so the world's getting older, and that's not good because, in theory, when you're older, you're supposed to be retiring. So Gunlock has some. His data says, "Be careful." I'm Rob Black. We're talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. KDOW traffic. A new accident in the Altamont Pass in this traffic report. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. The World Cup of Soccer is getting ready to kick off later today. Soccer fanatics have been waiting three years and 11 months. It comes around every four years. Disney could be a play here. Their owner of ESPN, Disney paid $100 million to secure the rights for 2010 and 2014. With soccer growing in popularity, it's going to be a lot more. Fox paid $425 million for the broadcasting rights for 2018 and 2022. Wow. Ford and GM, they're going to be players at the World Cup this week, this month. Hyundai's a big sponsor of the tournament. Rival car makers will probably try and hijack the marketing space as much as they can um, through things like Facebook and Twitter. Nike's situation is similar to Ford's. And GM, rival sportswear company, Adidas is one of the official sponsors, is the official sponsor of the World Cup and creator of the Brazuca ball, the ball which is used during the matches that was specifically designed for this tournament. We'll talk about more winners and losers tied towards uh, the World Cup as the show rolls on. But first and foremost, let's take a look at the market numbers because I haven't done that all day. The SP 500 down 6, the Dow down 50, the NASDAQ down 13. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton talking all things financial with me. Annuities, Chad. I'm so fortunate that I didn't meet an insurance agent early in my life that wanted to sell me an annuity because they sound great. They're too good to be true sometimes. Uh, let's talk a little annuities. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, this is, you know, I kind of got into the business on that end of it. Grandfather sold annuities and funds at banks for many years. And How did you make money selling annuities? Give us uh, a little it's little it's all commission based. So. Basically, what happens is, um, so annuities came into play, Rob, back when capital gains were up at 27%. Okay. So you could get fixed annuities, and fixed annuities were typically, you know, 1% to 2% higher than CDs, and they're tax-deferred. So it's a tax-deferred way to save money. Um, and so they're great, they were great for older people that wanted to rate higher than CDs, but they wanted to save money. Then variable annuities came into play because it was a way to invest in mutual fund-type investments and be able to rebalance and trade your portfolio in a tax-deferred setting, and oftentimes people in retirement were lower in their tax brackets than capital gains brackets were if you invested in stocks. Then we've got, you know, into the 
basically 90s, 2000s, when capital gains rates started to come down, and the fees inside those products were starting to go so high that they were eating up the tax benefits. Um, you know, and that's about the time in, in, what, about 94 or 5 or so that I started a fee-based financial planning practice. And uh, didn't like the idea. So I love financial planning. I just don't like sales. I don't like commissions involved when it comes to getting the best advice. People need to work with fiduciary. Especially when they could be egregiously high commissions. Yeah, and it took a while for the annuity industry, Rob, to, to catch on. People that have been listening for you and I to year, for years. Uh, we've been doing this stuff together for, what, 13 to 15 years or so? Long time. Yeah, gosh, 15 years, I guess. And we used to just hammer on annuities and how horrible they were. Well, now there's some no-load versions of annuities that are out there that we've talked about before that can be good bond alternatives for people that are, you know, 60 and above, and they're looking to create kind of their own pension plans. But a lot of people, unfortunately, have bought or are stuck in really bad, ugly products, and they don't know what to do about it. That's referred to, I think, what you're referring to as a TV show called Annuity Rescue. Okay, maybe not. (laughs) It'll never become a TV show, but it's dramatic, right? How do you get out of a bad annuity? Well, you have, a, you have options. Um, first of all, uh, if it's in an IRA, you're free to do whatever you want. If okay. your annuity is an IRA, you can transfer it back into a no-load fund company, back into a brokerage account um, without any taxes involved. You just do an IRA transfer. However, you have to look at the contract and say, do I have surrender charges? Because if you are working with a commission-based person, you have to say, do I have surrender charges, and what am I giving up if I give out of, get out of it? In other words, if you bought an annuity at the market high, and you have this really high death benefit and a really low value, and you don't really want the money, it's going to go to your heirs, well, then you might not want to give up that death benefit. But if you do, and you realize that, gosh, this annuity, I bought it from a commission-based person, it's 3% or more in internal fees that I didn't know about when I bought it, because I didn't read the prospectus, well, then, if it's an IRA, transfer it into a no-load fund company or a brokerage account and reinvest it in better products. Um, if it's a non-qualified, it's not an IRA, you can still transfer it into a better annuity by way of what's called a 1031 exchange, where you can, uh, or I'm sorry, a 1035 exchange. 1031 is for real estate. 1035 exchange is for annuities. And that's where you can go take your existing ugly annuity, do a tax-free exchange into something that's better. Um, so if you're retired and you need income, maybe it's a no-load annuity that has a lifetime guaranteed income benefit where there's a couple out there that have their no-load. You can come and go as you wish, but they'll, depending on your age, give you 5% or more um, income for life no matter what the market does. If the market does better, your income can go up. If the market does worse, the income can go down. I'm not going to give out it names. It cannot go down. I'm not going to give out names. But there's a guy on PBS who recommends refinancing your mortgage and dumping it into annuity. See, those people should go in jail. That's why. That's how the reverse. He's on, wait, wait. He's on PBS. Uh, he should go to jail. I know. <laughs> the um, there's also an advisor um, uh, that actually is very, very wise with IRA rules that t- tells people to pull money out of their IRA and buy life insurance. Um, there's always a catch somewhere. You got to say, how is this person making money? And so the advice that they're giving, where's the financial interest? Anyways, a lot the, of people don't know that PBS is paid for in commercial. It, it's basically infomercials. You come to them with money, and they decide to put you on or not. Which is why people get ticked off that they get government sponsorship a lot of times, right? Yep. So, um, anyways, getting back to the annuity, yeah, you have to say, okay, I, I'm not sure what to. Do. I know this annuity product is bad. I'm not sure what to do about it. So that makes make sure that when you're trying to figure out what to do about it, you're going to either a fee based or an hourly based advisor. 
so that they can give you some good advice in terms of what to do. There's fixed annuities, there's index annuities, and there's variable annuities. 98% of them are horrible. But there are a couple good ones out there. At CFP, Chad Burton, you can talk to him, you can find him, you can work with him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. We're living at a time of technological disruption. It's fun to watch. We're also living in a time where we share a lot of information. I think that's kind of scary, especially when it comes to teenagers. A lot of you have children, and you know about cyberbullying. It's a big problem in our society, and it's going to get worse. And thus, I think we have to figure out a way to close our networks and not open our networks. Um, there's a new thing going around Goldman Sachs and the interns this summer. They're using software that was meant for, like, third graders to kind of, like, anonymously, you know, uh, call out the company for their flaws or call out other employees who are underachieving. It feels like being 12 years old, but... It's in an adult world. Don't like what I'm seeing there. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Rob Black has a financial interest in the success of New Focus Financial. Brought to you by the National Fair House, 888-200-4005. Or... You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. It's World Cup time. I couldn't be more excited. You know the Boston Red Sox fans, even the San Francisco Giant fans, all they wanted was one championship in their lifetime. I know people that I work with that I'm like, hey, see the Giants lose three in a row and the Nationals not good. I'm like, yeah, we already have our World Series in it. <laughs> so I want the United States to win the World Cup once in my lifetime. We're getting there. But let's talk about the investments of the World Cup. When you're watching the World Cup, this is what you need to pay attention to, okay? Um, first and foremost... And again, I, I just think it's a beautiful tournament. We'll play three times over the next uh, basically 10, 14 days. And I don't think we're slated to play until Sunday. So we got a little bit of time. But Brazil's opening it up today. Watch the sport. Other than hockey, I think it's the most beautiful sport made um, and played. I don't even think there's anything close. So, and I fell in love with the game growing up overseas. And I, I should probably preface this, uh, because I grew up overseas, and you know, I lived in Turkey, and I lived in Greece, and I lived in Japan, and I lived in Germany. Um, sometimes you didn't have pristine green grass, so you learned playing soccer on, like, you know, dirt, and on rocks, and on roads. So my skills were way mad. I had mad skills at soccer, and to this day, I could probably, eh, it'd be my fair, I could probably do some damage. But... Grew up loving it, and I went to the World Cup back in the 90s. I uh, went to Europe, to Italy for it. Um, just, you know, college romance, time of your life. And there was this girl, Kim, and we're on the boat from Ireland going over to France, um, making our way to Italy. And it was cute because all the soccer fans, they don't, they're not traveling with women. So we're on the ferry going across the, the, uh, the English Channel, and it's, it's choppy. And, you know, we decided to save some money, and we're not going to spend it and... Um, 
we're not going to spin it on a room. So we spin it on a room with six other people, a cabin kind of thing, uh, not a private room. So we spend a lot of time in the bar, which is a 22, 24, 26-hour trip across the channel. And, of course, the Irish people aren't going to pay for a room. The men going to the soccer games, they're, they're drunk, they're lit, they're singing songs. And that's why I pulled out the ole, ole, ole. But what was cool is you're in a bar on a boat with probably 300, 400 people. It was a pretty big bar kind of thing. Um, and Irish people are singers. Say I'll break into, you know, we're a part of Paddy's army. We're on our way to history. We'll really shake them up when we win the World Cup because Ireland's got the greatest football team. Um, and then they break into another song, the Olay. And then they break into another song. And then they figure out that there was a good-looking woman on the boat. And like 200 Irish men start singing her songs like the woman in red and how beautiful she is. And I'm like, hey, I'm just going to disappear here, right? So that's a good World Cup memory for me. Okay, so stocks to look for. 21st Century Fox, ticker symbol F-O-X-A. They already bought the U.S. English language rights for 2018-2022 World Cups, $425 million, a substantial premium compared to what ESPN paid of $100 million. If this World Cup proves to be a success with advertisers, 21st Century Fox will be thrilled because they're in the position for the next two World Cups. And they're going to be able to charge four times the premium that's been paid currently. Will they pull it off? And again, the United States is a melting pot. We're a beautiful, beautiful nation. Advertisers want some non-white people as well. And I think that's... And people from around the world are enjoying this World Cup. And uh, it'll be, you know, most viewed, hands down, event of the year. McDonald's and Visa are stocks to watch. Both companies are official sponsors of the event. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. Lots of applies. You get a lot of exposure, assuming the numbers have been pitched correctly. The short-term lift for sales, longer-term benefits for shareholders should be realized. Putting this into context, a sports marketing research company showed more than $4 billion was generated globally for sponsors during the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. Coca-Cola, popular soft drink. It's one of the official sponsors of the World Cup, and assuming the brand has done its calculations right, the marketing value derived from the sponsor's premium should be offer a dividend. There was recently a Harris poll that indicated 62% of soccer fans take notice of companies that support their favorite teams. So sponsorships like this. With the social issues and demonstrations in Brazil related to the World Cup, Coke needs to tread very, very carefully. This is a very poor nation that has spent billions and billions and billions of dollars, not on schools, not on roads, not on infrastructure, but on soccer stadiums. Are they going to be able to sneak out of this one? It's a good question. Coca-Cola, popular soft drink company, will have that play. And they'll have to tread very, very carefully. Two companies that I think will get huge play, and they're not official sponsors, Facebook and Twitter. It's going to be the biggest social event ever. It's expected from uh, you know, the 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi, the 2012 London Summer Olympics, the 2010 World Cup. We've already seen the numbers skyrocket in each case. Will it be record-breaking? I bet it will. 21 million Facebook users already like FIFA's World Cup Brazil page. Hashtag Brazil 2014. Brazil spelled with an S. And hashtag fake World Cup facts. 
are amongst the highest trending hashtags right now on Twitter. Nike's going to be in an interesting position because they don't have the sponsorship that Adidas does. But again, I you know damn well that they're going to hit social media with high-quality, hilarious five-minute animated advertisements. Um, you know that they're going to hit social media with high-quality um, you know, did you see that goal? Let's look at it one more time. Um, so they're using already Nike is, you know, Portugal's Cristiano Ronaldo, England's Wayne Rooney in ad campaigns that are not official sponsors, but they are being shown. Nike's already tried to leverage their own sales. It's the leading supplier of jerseys, sponsoring 10 national teams this year, more than it has ever done before. And one more team than Adidas, even though Adidas is the official sponsor of the World Cup and the World Cup ball. Ford and GM have to go up against Hyundai. They're going to be buying spots, but they're not the official sponsor. But they will get a play out of it. They're going to probably try to hijack the marketing space whenever possible. Again, think social media. Um, you, You may see like a really tough play, like a U.S. player jumps in the air to try to stop Cristiano Ronaldo from scoring, and, you know, he gets his face kicked, but the ball stays out of the goal. And Ford or GM will be like, that that American is one tough American, just like our Ford trucks. Built tough. So the social media is going to be, and you'll pass it around. The social media is going to be there. So that's my tribute to the World Cup and uh, the World Cup of soccer. My, I, I don't think I have anything else to add to it. I think I've said enough at this point in time. I think uh, you're pretty tired of me. Again, a little bit later today, um, World Cup's going to kick off, and it's going to be an event, Brazil against Croatia. Tomorrow at noon, we get Mexico versus Cameron, um, and that's Eastern time, so that's 9 o'clock in the morning. So right after the show, I'm going to be paying attention to that game. Uh, Mexico backed into the World Cup. They're, They're a brilliant story. Uh, Spain, obviously one of the world powers in soccer. Uh, France has got a whole new team this year, more of a striking team. It's interesting. They've got four forwards who all like to run towards the goal. That's scary. None of them stay back. They're a fun team to watch. Uh, U.S. has got the difficult bull. They're in the, what's called the death group. Uh, we're against you know, the world number two and number four teams, Germany and Portugal. Um, and we're against the world's best player in, in Portugal. So they've got a tough road, but we open up against Ghana. Ghana's not the same team that beat us four years ago and eight years ago. So we got a little bit of revenge going, and they're a different team, and we're a different team. So soccer turnover players uh, are huge. We've gone with a younger group this year, in large part trying to set ourselves up for the future. Get the experience now. Probably not going to get out of this group unless we upset Ghana with a couple goals, two or three. And then we need uh, Germany to beat Portugal, and we just need to tie Portugal. So it could happen. It could happen. Uh, and then Portugal, Ghana, we need them to tie. Like it, It's a lot of ifs and buts. And you know what I say about ifs and buts? If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, oh, what a party we'd have. Italy. I hate Italy. Hate Italy soccer, Italian soccer. Don't know why. I just got something against Italian soccer. Um, maybe it's that we beat them and had a goal disallowed that shouldn't have been disallowed. Maybe, 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 maybe I hold on to that. <laughs> But Sunday we're playing Portugal at 3 o'clock in the afternoon Pacific time, and that's going to be a hell of a match. You know, it, it's, we'll either be out or in at the end of that match. Uh, we'll have, we'll, not quite, but we'll know if we have any chances at all. So next couple of days, it's all going to play out. And it's a tournament that takes a whole month, and that's fun. Like, 
I don't know. I'll have to shut up. <laughs> Can I talk more about it? You know, one last thing that I'll talk about it is I think countries are starting to get to the point that they don't really want to host these events because Sochi was built a Winter Olympics in a place that was a summer vacation spot. And you can already take looks at pictures and see, like, it's already fallen into, the, into Rowan. Brazil gets the Olympics in two years, so this kind of makes a little bit of sense to get the World Cup and the Olympics so that they could build all these stadiums and use them one more time. But they built a stadium in the Amazon that should never have been built. It has no roads to get there. You have to fly in or boat in. Um, not good. There's a Brazilian striker who's playing for Spain. He has to play in Brazil. He's the most hated man in the uh, World Cup. If you ever want to see Silly Bazilli, look at how the richest players spend their money. Oh, it's a fun sport. So let's go. Let's go USA. Let's see what we can pull off. In a world of Brazil where people are living in deplorable conditions, um, rent increases tied towards the World Cup. Eh. There's some irony there. Take a break. Be right back. And we won't come back till it's over over there. AM 1220 KDOW traffic. Connection included in San Francisco. And this traffic report brought to you by the Foundation for a Better Life. Shopped on 101 before Cesar Chavez. His streetcar accident moved off of the freeway. Traffic there is still slow from the Central Freeway merge. Northbound 101 at 3rd Street, a new accident. That one's got the left lane blocked there. Still have a four-car crash in Albany, westbound 80 before the Albany exit. It is already slow in stretches from San Pablo Avenue out to the maze. Still getting reports of a stall in the Cal Tunnel eastbound 24 to Garden Truck in the right lane of the right bore. And at the Bay Bridge Toll Plaza, the heaviest lanes backed up to West Grand. You've seen the paintings with Thanksgiving turkey being served. Messaging apps are soon going to be bigger than social networks. Messaging is poised to overtake social networks. Um, and the growth curve is stunning. So if you take a look, and I, I use a lot of um, intelligence estimates, so I pay for a lot of research so that I can see trends. This isn't just like uh, silly little off-the-cuff things. This is a little bit bigger than that. The rise of smartphone messaging apps has happened so quickly, it has hardly given any time to process it. There's four major messaging apps, WeChat, WhatsApp, Line, and Facebook Messenger. There's four global social networks, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can see when you pull up a chart of the four, the messaging app mark has exploded. The top seven messaging apps have expanded by 148% in one year, adding 900 million users. WhatsApp, which Facebook bought, was very smart in buying them, I believe. They had already had 100 million more monthly active users than its nearest competitor, China's WeChat. Snapchat is huge and it's getting bigger. The photo and video-centric app, which only recently incorporated video calls, is running neck and neck with message and voice calling app Tango. Facebook's a laggard. It is several times smaller than the top three messaging apps. Despite its global footprint and deep integration with Facebook, it's smaller than Japan's Line, which is most popular in East and Southeast Asia. 
So as an investor, you should know this stuff. And I hope I just did you a favor. I don't know if I did or didn't. Um, LeBron James, Miami Heat superstar. He made more than $30 million in cash in stock when Apple paid $3 billion for Beats Electronics. He took a small stake in Beats Electronics during its inception back in 2008, working closely with producers and company co-founders Jimmy Avine and Dr. Dre to promote the company's premium headphones. He's paid $19 million a year. So his Beats deal netted him more money this year than his basketball playing. That's news that's buried deep inside of a story. Now, what's interesting is he is a brand that is a lot of things, not just playing basketball. There was news out recently that the Heat are reportedly interested in signing Carmelo Anthony this summer, one of the most sought-after NBA superstars. To sign Anthony, who is a max contract player, James and the Heat, other stars, would have to renegotiate their deals, potentially take less money. James' off-court endorsements tied towards his you know, dominant winning ways, and his investments are doing so well that he might be willing to take less money. In a weird way, if he makes his team better by taking less money, he can continue to be a dominant player and show off his, his talents, and competition can't really catch him. You kind of see where that's going? He would be wise to take a pay cut. I've done that before. Um, not get paid my, my worth now so that later I can. Um, no doubt about it, I've done that. So I'm not telling you to do it. Just telling you I've done it. Lulu Lemon. They make incredibly sexy, athletic... Yoga clothes, um, a lot of people swear by them. They've really fallen hard. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where they are in a couple weeks. It had a high valuation, and this is what happens with companies with high valuations. When they miss earnings, they fall, and they fall hard. They're trading the next year 16 times earnings. So at some point in time, if you see one good quarter and you have to wait for it, and the stock may be up, when you see that good quarter, it's going to be that, like, okay, here's a company that, that has great clothes, and some people question their clothes. Remember, they've got, got the black sheer see-through clothes. Some people question if they're able to pull that off again. Um, I don't know. I think I'm rambling at this point in time. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Let's see, i got one final closing thought for you. Department of Labor. I hit a lot of the economic news in the first hour, so I don't really have to hit it that hard this hour. Uh, May retail sales missed expectations. That should be known. Um, Crude oil jumps on continued tensions in Iraq. Higher oil prices are weighing on transport stocks. So we need to ship our goods on trains and planes and automobiles to our final destination where we can buy them. But if there's terrorism or there's attacks in Iraq and uh, tensions that could push the price of oil higher than the price of shipping that our goods to us goes higher than, you know, the people who make it have to pay for it. Do they decide to pass on this cost to you and me or not? Or do they eat it and, and hurt their profits? So energy stocks are doing well today because of the tensions in, in the Middle East. Uh, consumer discretionary, consumer staples, industrials, technologicals, technology, and utilities not doing as well. Um, anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. The World Cup kicks off today, and on some levels, you're going to see productivity worldwide go down as people take the day off, drink beers, and watch soccer. This is the first time in Latin America, that uh, South America, that the World Cup's been played in a long, long time. So you kind of have to feel bad for the European people because you know they're eight hours ahead of us, roughly, maybe nine in the case of Brazil. 
So they're going to be watching in the middle of the night if they're watching at all. Um, Twitter CEO resigns, stock goes up. Classic example of a company that's lagged Facebook in user growth. And instantly we're blaming him and the problem's gone. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work like that, but it's out there. Amazon launched a music streaming device, uh, music streaming service. I'll check it out. I've got Amazon Prime. I'll give you some reviews on it. I think it's launching today, actually. Um, it's not a full catalog, and it's got some of the hit songs from six months ago versus some of the hit songs of today. Um, so it may not appeal. But then again, you know, they'll have something. To get your calls on the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Uh, money, investing, and more. Um, thanks for listening to the show. If you have questions in the future, don't be shy. i got a big event coming up Thursday the night. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.